I just had this really strong sense when we were in prayer this morning before service that there was something that the Lord was going to do actually in the, in, in the worship as we went to the higher place with him, that he's just going to break things up and he's going to break in healing, deliverance, freedom, salvation, hope, strength, courage, and wisdom. This is what we're going to be talking about today. Jesus, come. As we open our hands, we open our hearts, we open our minds, we open our spirit to you today. We've called on your name, Lord. And you said, as we quoted earlier, Lord, that you live not only in a high and lofty place, but you also come near to those who are humble, contrite of heart, and who tremble at your word. So, Lord, today we come and tremble at your word. Speak to us now, living eternal word of God. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I love when the Lord um, sort of just takes and um, demonstrates the very things that he's wanting to speak to us before we even get to the word. And I really believe that that's happened this morning. And um, several of the things that have been spoken, both by worship team folks, by those who've come up and shared, have uh, had very specific, um, specific things have been spoken that really demonstrate um, the word uh, that we have before us this morning. Uh, for those of you that are newer to our congregation um, or maybe visiting for the first time today, welcome. My name is Pastor Jim. I have the honor of serving as the lead pastor here at our congregation, Bethel Christian Fellowship St. Paul, and senior pastor of our seven congregations that share life together here. Um, and we are in the midst of a sermon series that's going to take us through the remainder of this month and the first half of next month out of the book of James, practical wisdom from the book of James. And this morning, uh, I've entitled our message, Who is Wise? And if you have your Bible, turn with me, please, to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. I believe it's somewhere around page 855 in your pew Bible or in your own Bible or on your device, which by God's grace you'll be following along in the scriptures and not playing Angry Birds. All right. Uh, or Candy Crunch or whatever those other things are. All right. So. That would not be a demonstration of wisdom today. All right, so just saying. All right, so this morning we're going to be uh, unpacking James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18, but I'm just going to back up for a moment just to give it a running start on this and to give us some context. Back to chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect or a mature person able to keep his whole body in check. Last week we looked at um, the issue of taming the tongue as the, uh, one of the significant and actually primary challenges for uh, someone who is seeking to 
mature in God. Um, and so we know that this is a year of growing maturity. And so we recognize that our tongue is, uh, is, is, is a challenge to be tamed by God. And um, so last week we unpacked that at length, and I would encourage you to either go to the website or you can pick up a CD and uh, copies of the PowerPoint in the back, uh, on the back table, uh, because that's an issue that is common to every human being on earth, every generation, every culture, every background, uh, the issue of the tongue. But I want you to notice here that, that James, in the context here, he's also speaking particularly and specifically to those of us who are leaders. And whatever capacity of leadership that might be, um, you know, in, in, in one sense, all of us are leaders in that all of us have influence on other people around us. And that's a definition of leadership. Leadership is influence. So that may be in a small circle or a very wide or larger circle. Clearly here he's speaking to leaders within the context of, of the church. And so he's, he's speaking to those who, whose influence may be larger. And he's just simply saying the larger that circle of influence is, the larger the potential impact of your words are, the more care is required of you and the more strictly that, that you will be judged for those words that come out of our mouths. And so, um, you know, parents, we're judged more strictly than our children. And, uh, you know, all, all, at every level of leadership, uh, whatever that is in, in the home, in the marketplace, uh, government, education, wherever it is, and, and within the church, uh, the tongue is a significant, significant issue. But this morning, uh, we're going to be focusing specifically now, I, I want you to give that context, because again, we're talking about leadership, influence, and again, whatever level that is, and whatever area or, or um, whatever season of life we're in, um, there is a, a, a necessity here as it relates to this next issue, which is that of wisdom. And so he begins and says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes down from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Who is wise among you? Well, that's what we want to unpack this morning and try to discover together this issue of being wise and the issue of wisdom. And I'd like to begin our conversation this morning by, by trying to give us a definition of wisdom. Because um, I've heard a number of different definitions over the years, and I looked up a bunch of definitions of wisdom. And all of them seemed, felt like I, I got pieces in part, but, but I, there was something in me that wanted more. And, and um, so I delved back and, 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 and went way back and, and kind of moved forward. And, and I've come up with my working definition of wisdom, which is just that, a working definition, and you may be able to, to help me craft this even better, and I would encourage you to do that. I'd, I'd welcome your emails on this if, if God's given you or if you've seen a particular um, definition of wisdom that, that would help us 
flesh this out even more, but here's my working definition of, of wisdom. Wisdom is the application of knowledge and the demonstration of godly discernment in every aspect of life, mental, physical, emotional, relational, and spiritual. Wisdom is the application of knowledge and the demonstration of godly discernment in every aspect of life, mental, physical, emotional, relational, and spiritual. So what I want you to capture here, and and you've got sermon notes on the back of your, uh, uh, in the bulletin insert, so you can write this down if you'd like to. So I'm going to talk about it for just a moment. So sometimes we think of wise as the person, you know, it's, uh, uh, who, who was it, the scarecrow who got the mind right and is going to think great thoughts and all of that sort of stuff. And, and so, uh, so a wise person is a person who is a thinker of great thoughts. But we're, when, when we narrow it to that, we miss a, a critical part of what wisdom really is because wisdom is more than thinking good thoughts. Wisdom has to do with application of knowledge. It's not simply knowing just how to do, what, what to do, but it's how to do it. It's an application, and I, I, I went on and used this other phrase as well because that, that's a, sort of a common definition of wisdom, um, the application of knowledge. But I, I went on to, to kind of flesh that out even broader because I believe that it's a demonstration of godly discernment. It's discerning, and then out of that discernment, living your life in such a way that demonstrates that that discernment that is in you is now finding expression outside of you. In every aspect of your life. So it's, it, it does, it's, it's certainly a part of your, of your mind, the thoughts that you think, and, and our mind is critically important in this process, particularly in the area of knowledge and discernment, but it's not only the mind, it's, it's your body, it's physical. I, I, um, my, my spiritual director, who's, who's now passed away, you know, he, he would remind me, your, your body understands things. Your body knows stuff if you will listen to it. It knows when you need rest. <laughs> it knows when you're carrying stress. Emotional, your emotions. There's, a, there's a, an ability, there's a, and, and in fact, um, well, this gets kind of connected to that relational part. Um, we sometimes think of wisdom as, as sort of in an ivory tower or isolated. Actually, the demonstration of true wisdom gets worked out in our relationships with other people. So if you want to know who the truly wise person, look for the person who has significant relational capital based on their ability to demonstrate discernment in those relationships with others. You get this? Okay? So it's emotional, it's relational, and it's spiritual, of course. And we're going to see that as we unpack further. Let me, let me give you one other quote that I, that I found while I was studying this week around this. It says, 
Uh, the quote is, being wise does not mean we understand everything that's going on because of our superior knowledge, but that we do the right thing as life comes along. Did you catch that? It's not just having superior knowledge about everything. It's doing the right thing as life comes along. That's why this is called, this whole series, Faith That Works. That's what James is after over and over and over again. He's saying your faith must have a demonstration which can be visible to those who are around you. Okay, are you with me so far? Everybody got it written down? Something you can spend some time considering, and you can help me, again, by giving me even greater perspective on this. All right? So, as we've come and begun to unfold the passage, we're going to notice a few things. We're going to notice, first of all, the source of true wisdom. Then we're going to look at some of the characteristics and the outcomes And finally, at the end, we're going to talk about growing wise. And this is not going to take a considerable amount of time to unpack, but it will take a lifetime to learn. (laughs) All right. The unwise, the source of the unwise. Well, come to James again and look at what it says. Verse 15, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. So it's earthly, it's based on earthly principles. That word unspiritual doesn't quite capture it very well for us. A lot of these words are going to be difficult for us because they don't translate easily from Greek into English, but, but it really means subhuman. It's almost our animalistic instincts. It's the instinct that of, the, um, you know, of, the, of the fox caught in the trap that's going to you know, bite its it's uh, either its paw off or bite whoever comes. It's, it's the animalistic instinct. But really, at the foundation, at the root of this earthly wisdom is the enemy, Satan. He is the one who is really the author of this earthly wisdom, the unwise. On the contrary, the wise is really opposite of this because the wisdom of God is wisdom that is heavenly. It comes from above. It is, uh, it is issued to us through the Spirit of God who will lead us and teach us and bring us into all truth. And it comes from God himself. So, so the wisdom that we are going to be looking for, that we're asking for this morning, and that's why I even came back to Uh, calling on the Lord, whisper his name, Jesus, is because the only place that we're going to receive this, the only source of this, comes from God. You cannot read a book to get this. There is no earthly way that you are going to get a hold of this wisdom. It comes from above. Now, as James unpacks this for us here, well, first of all, Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. 
you are not going to get this wisdom outside of relationship with the living God. Okay? So just set aside any other thoughts you got because you can't find it anywhere else. So what are the characteristics of this wisdom? I'm really glad you asked because I'd like to unpack those for us. First of all, James lays out the characteristics of the unwise. Again, come back to the scripture. So you've got your scripture. You've still got it before you, right? Got your Bible. Got it out. But if you harbor bitter envy, selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it, deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder in every evil practice. Okay, so let's talk about these characteristics. He, he lists really four characteristics in those couple of verses. The first is, it is fanatical. The word there is zeal run amok. Earthly wisdom is the kind of wisdom that so wants to press its position, it's so, you know, it, it just, it becomes the fanaticism. We see earthly wisdom, the characteristics of wor- earthly wisdom, all over this world right now. In many different parts of the world, as well as in our own, we see people who are functioning in a fanaticism that is flowing out of this earthly, unsubhuman, devilish way, seeking to impose its will on others. That's earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom is bitter. Word their envy, it's, 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 there's, you know, it's, it's poisonous. Earthly wisdom is just poisonous. Hebrews talks about, do not let any root of bitterness grow up within you to defile many. In my experience in 30 years of pastoring, which by the way, let's see, coming up close, next, next Sunday will mark 30 years of in total of ministry for me. Um, in 30 years of, of ministry, probably one of the, the, the most corrosive things that I've watched is when bitterness has captured the heart of a human being. And when it comes out, oh, it sounds wise. Well, let me tell you the truth about so and so and so. Let me tell you the truth about this situation. And, 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 you know, bitterness is often connected with a very critical spirit, which becomes corrosive in the context of relationships in a marriage, between a parent and child, a child and parent, in a, in a workplace. Have you ever been in a workplace where bitterness has started to just start to seep in? You ever been there? Ugh. It's ugly, right? In a neighborhood church. Bitterness is earthly and unwise, selfishly ambitious. 
once read the difference between manipulation and motivation. Manipulation is when you're seeking to get other people to do something secretly underneath. You're actually getting them to do that for your benefit. Motivation is when you are seeking to help somebody and motivate them because you know of the benefit it will be for them. So there is a difference between manipulation and motivation, and at heart and at root, it's this issue of being selfishly ambitious. That's why it was so powerful when we just sang, and when we lay, oh God, we lay down our selfish pride. Because that's what's behind that selfishly ambitious is our pride. And it's arrogant. There's that pride coming forth. And it's just that, I got all the answers. I'm better than you. I want to tell you, the longer I've lived my life, the more questions I have. And I have discovered that wisdom is not about having all of the right answers. It's learning to ask the right questions. It's not all about having the right answers. It's asking the right questions. It's not arrogant. It's teachable. We'll get to that in a moment when we look at the wise now. Pure. Come with me to verse 17. It's typed in your bulletin as well. So you've got all kinds of ways you can look at it. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, and sincere peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Pure. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will what? They'll see God. Unalloyed. It's not, there's, the wisdom from above doesn't have that, um, that attachment of us to it. That was really technical. Um, (laughs) I'm trying to figure out how to communicate that clearer. But wisdom of above, it's, it's kind of the Isaiah 55 thing. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways aren't my ways. You ever had that experience where you suddenly realized that, that the things that you were trying to accomplish and, and, and I've shared with this, you this before. I mean, I've come to God with really great ideas. And I've got the plan all laid out. And I bring it to him to ask him to bless it. And I've heard him say more than once, thank you so much for your input. Now would you like to hear what's on my heart? <sighs> but that wisdom from above, it's got a, a clarity to it. It's got a sound that's in tune, that doesn't have dissonance. It's peaceable. The word here really gets at, and it's, it's, again, these are hard words to translate in English. Because we think of peace as the absence of conflict, but biblically, particularly Hebraically, the word shalom doesn't simply mean absence of conflict. It means the presence of harmony. Wisdom from above actually puts things in order 
so that they fit and so that they complement and so that there's a harmony. It's humane. How does it put it here in the NIV? It translates it as considerate. I want you to think about when Jesus came upon the scene with the woman caught in adultery. I want you to think about the wisdom that he demonstrated. You know, writing in the sand, you without sin throw the first. Jesus knew the law. The law was clear. And yet in the demonstration of discernment and the application of knowledge, Jesus went beyond the external to the actual heart of the matter, and he was incredibly humane towards this vulnerable, powerless woman. Wisdom from above is extremely humane. In other words, it takes into account more than simply the rules and regulations of the law, but it brings in that discernment, and it understands, and it gets beyond that to the heart and core of the issue. God help us, we need more and more of this kind of wisdom. Yes? Because the world's pretty inhuman. And sometimes the church can be too. Let's be honest. Fourth, it's accommodating. The word here in the NIV means submissive. What, again, what it's struggling to, and again, there's no great English word to, 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 to do this, but it, it means that wis, this wisdom is teachable. It's willing to hear another person's perspective. If you've ever read, I've, I've read portions of it. I can't say that I've read the whole thing. Um, Team of Rivals, which is a, a great historical book about Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln designed his cabinet and brought in all of the people who were against him and brought them into his cabinet. Because he wanted to hear those dissenting voices. Because he knew that if he heard those voices, he would end up making better decisions. Plus, he knew that they would become friends and partners with him in the process of discerning those right decisions. He had to stand up to them sometimes. He knew the right way. He, you know, there was lots of stuff going on. But there was a wisdom that Abraham Lincoln had, which we still celebrate today, of course. Loving kindness, full of mercy and good deeds. That's this loving kindness, full of mercy and good fruit. It's love demonstrated. It's compassion in action. Wisdom is not in the ivory tower. Wisdom is Jesus with the cloth around his waist, washing his disciples' feet. That is the demonstration of wisdom. It says in that passage in John 13, which I've been reflecting on a lot lately, it's just that Jesus, knowing who he was, and knowing that he was going back to the Father, he took off the garments of his position and his power, and he put on the towel, and he demonstrated to them what true leadership looked like. It's constant. The word you have in the NIV and some of your others will have different words. Um, 
impartial. Or some of yours will say, um, without wavering, or not double-minded. It, there's a, and there's, there's two components to this constancy that I want us to, to grab hold of. One is, this wisdom from above has a clarity around it that is consistent in its application. It's consistent in its demonstration. So there is a consistency and a constancy about it in terms of, so it isn't all over the map. It's not on this side one day and on this side another day. There's a constancy about it. But the impartial piece is also important, particularly in the light of James, where he's talking about the rich and the poor. Wisdom from above does not view people from an earthly perspective, but views them through the eyes of Christ. And so the wisdom when it's demonstrated is the same for the person who is homeless to the person who is in the penthouse. It's impartial. It's constant. And it's sincere. And here we are back to that purity. It has an internal coherence to it. It has an integrity about it. I've shared with you many times one of my favorite prayers and one of the prayers I've prayed over the years over and over and over again is out of Psalm 51 where, where um, David says, I pray that you would teach me truth in the inmost parts and wisdom in the hidden places. In other words, that my foundations from the inside out will have an integrity about them, a sincerity about them that they will be without, the other word here is really without hypocrisy. Without hypocrisy. All right. Philippians 2, 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul encourages us to have the same um, as Christ Jesus, the same attitude as Christ Jesus. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That is true wisdom. All right. Outcomes. Outcomes. What is the outcome of earthly wisdom? What's the outcome of godly wisdom? And you will know a tree by its fruit. So... We can look at our own lives, we can look at the situations around us, and we can discover and discern whether there is wisdom or unwisdom happening. In the unwise, there is disorder and evil practices. I, I, I ran across this again in my study t- this week, it's funny. Um, snafu. Did you know that the word snafu is from World War II, and did you know that it's an acronym? I didn't know this. Norm knew this. Okay. So, um, but the word snafu means situation normal, all fouled up. It was a military term. Snafu. Situation normal, all fouled up. But now they have a new acronym, FUB, which is, F-U-B-B, fouled up beyond belief. Well, that's what happens with 
earthly wisdom, evil practices. Perhaps you've heard the story of the two men who lived in a certain city. One was envious, the other covetous. And the ruler of the city sent for them and said he wanted to grant them one wish each with this proviso that the one who chose first would get exactly what he asked for while the other man would get exactly twice what the first had asked for himself. The envious man was ordered to choose first but immediately found himself in a quandary. He wanted to choose something great for himself but realized that if he did, the other one would get twice as much. He thought and thought and thought. And then he finally went to the ruler and said, I would like you to put out one of my eyes. That's evil practice. That's disorder. That's unwise. It gets so consumed with selfish ambition and bitterness and fanaticism and arrogance that disorder and evil practice are the result. What is the wise? Peace. Good practices. Come back to the scripture. I'm not making this up, people. This is right here. James 3.18, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Verse 16 gives us the unwise. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder and every evil practice. Verse 18, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. 1 Corinthians 3 The Corinthian church is a biblical illustration of unwisdom being worked out in the life of a church and Paul seeking to correct it. He says, brothers and sisters, I couldn't address you as people who live by the Spirit, but people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Aren't you acting like mere humans? And you hear throughout is pleading with them to grow up into the wisdom of God. Well, how do we grow up? How do we grow wise? I'm so glad you asked. Because here it is. You grow wise, first of all, by asking. You will not grow wise if you don't ask. And you ask because you are profoundly aware of your need. And if you're not profoundly aware of your need, you'll never ask. If any of you lacks wisdom, this is James earlier. We didn't focus on this part when we were in James 1. I told you we'd come back to it. Well, here we are. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Ask him. And then receive, you know, if, if you ask, and I'm holding it out, there's something that's got to happen, right, Dana? I mean, you've you got to actually take it, otherwise those Kleenex aren't going to do you a whole lot good. Give me a Kleenex. And you just sit there. You've got to receive. You take hold of it. Going on in 1, 6 through 8. 
But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. When you ask, believe that you've received. Grab hold of it, and sometimes it's going to come. Often, in my experience, the wisdom of God comes, and it doesn't make immediate sense to me. And then I waver, and I doubt. But receive what God speaks to you. Yes, you need to get it confirmed. This isn't a, you know, I mean, we got way too many people out in the world saying God told me to do this or that when, honestly, God told them nothing of the sort. I'm sorry. God did not tell you that. But when God does tell you, (laughs) listen up. Solomon's our great example of this, 2 Chronicles 1. Solomon, son of David, established himself firmly over his kingdom, for the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. And then he goes and it says in verse 6 of 2 Chronicles 1, Solomon went up to the bronze altar before the Lord in the tent of meeting and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. And verse 7, that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Ask. And Solomon answered God, you've, been, you've shown great kindness to David my father, have made me king in his place. Now Lord God, Let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? And verse 11, God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire, and you've not asked for wealth or riches or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you've not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I've made you king, Therefore, wisdom and knowledge will be given to you. And, by the way, I'll also give you wealth and riches and honor, such as no king who has before you ever had and none after you will have. Ask and receive. And then walk in it. Proverbs 2, we could do a bunch in Proverbs. I think Pastor Sam's going to spend some time in Proverbs this evening over at Bethel, Minneapolis. So if you want to hear another perspective on this passage and, and dig into some of the, the Proverbs, I believe that's where he's going to be spending some of his time tonight. But Proverbs 2, 9 to 15, and then verse 20, then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. And discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you, and wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who've left the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perseverance of evil, perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Thus you'll walk in the ways of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. Nate Oilo said something yesterday in the seminar. It was really a fabulous seminar. I'm so grateful for Sojourn Church for hosting the seminar that they did yesterday. And he said, um, and Brian, help me remind others that were there. Um, He said, um, don't dialogue with evil unless you be drawn into evil. If you want to walk on the path of wisdom, in other words, hang around wise people. Right? And, 
and, and let them, and then, you know, and then, then you can come alongside of those that are unwise. But, you know, God's got to establish something in you first. But then you need to begin to walk and demonstrate that and live that out. So, so this wisdom from above, you ask for it and you receive it, and then you got to do something. Here in America, we're really good at knowing about stuff. We're really good at gathering more information. The challenge comes in the gap between knowing something and actually demonstrating it, doing it. Which is what, again, this study is all about. And remember what James says in the scripture on the front of your bulletin. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Walk in it. Love this hymn. It's one of my favorite hymns. Oh, you can go ahead and keep it up. That's fine. Be thou my vision. And so when we sing this this morning as we close, I want to ask you to actually pray this. So don't let the words just kind of flow by and, oh, that's nice. What? This is our prayer today. Be thou my vision. And I think, is it verse 2 that be thou my wisdom and thou my true word? So this is putting into action the word this morning in a very simple beginning way, but it's simply saying, Lord, I, I need you to be my vision. I need you to be my wisdom. And I want to tell you today as we close that if you're here this morning and you've heard the message today and something in you has sparked and said, man, I realize man, I've been doing it my way for a long time and it's just not working. And I need this wisdom. Well, the very beginning place of that in the asking, the, the first ask is to ask Jesus to come in and live in your heart and in your life. To recognize that you've been separated from him by your sin, and we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but glory to God, he's made a way through the cross. That's the cross, him reaching up to the Father and reaching down to us and reaching out his arms to take us and receive us. And if you ask him to forgive you, he will forgive you. And if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And you can experience life and begin a walk of wisdom today. So if you've never made a commitment to Christ, this morning you can do that. Uh, if you want to come and, and receive Christ today, I encourage you to do so. And if you're like me and saying, I want more of this wisdom, well, then you can join me in praying as we sing this as well. And asking God. And you know what? He doesn't go, oh, you already asked me about that. Nah. He says, I've been waiting for you to ask me. I don't know what to do with my marriage. Ask me. I don't know what to do with my job. Ask me. I don't know what to do with my life. It ain't working. Ask me. And get some help. Get connected with some people. 
Talked about that last week. We'll continue to talk about that. The mosaic groups, connect groups, opportunities to, to get with other people who are on the same journey. Get around some folks. You can't do this by yourself. Don't. That's foolish to think you can. We're not designed that way. Biblically, we need to be in fellowship, community, encouraging one another. Let's stand together. Get connected. We'll help you. All right. Let's sing this, and then I'll pray. Let's just open our hands as Lynn comes to pray a final prayer of blessing over us. Just open your hands. Father, we praise you for the word that we've heard today, Lord. We ask that you would let it sink down into our ears, sink down into our hearts, become a part of who we are, Lord. Lord, that you would always be exalted, that you would always be first in our lives, Lord, that we will always come to you and ask for what we need. For, Lord, your stores are boundless. You have more than we could ever ask, God. Lord, give us the faith when we ask to believe that we receive because you give generously to your children. Lord, and as we go from this house to our homes, sent to make disciples of all nations, let us remember to spread Jesus everywhere we go, Lord. We again thank you, Lord, for who you are. You are our God and our friend. And may the Lord go with you today. You and yours be blessed until we meet together, either in this house or in an eternal home. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.